podcast where we talk about things with one super special guest every week. Just sit back, relax, and hear us speak on This Is Happening, the podcast. Hello, welcome back to This Is Happening. This is Nathan Streifel. And Eric Morris. Hey, so, (laughs) I guess I was waiting for someone else to say something. Today, we have such a treat. This is happening, listeners. You are lucky, lucky, lucky. We have a coup. It's like a brownie on top of a Rice Krispie treat with whipped cream. The brilliantly funny, hilarious Drew Drogi is here. Hi, guys. Hello. Good. Hey, thanks so much for coming. Thank you for having me. I've been pounding you about introduce myself at the beginning you said you were waiting for someone to talk and I'm like I always wait to be introduced when I'm a guest I try to be polite and you did and then you were totally worked out thank you I'm a really good person you're so polite (laughs) (laughs) known for his politeness many people listening will know Drew's work from his Chloe videos Chloe 7 videos but he's also appeared in numerous film and television and tons of web series and is taking over both New York and LA <laughs> theater. You can hardly, you know, throw a stone without seeing a theater that um, that you're performing in. Mm-hmm. It's about to go back to New York to close out uh, the run multiple times extended of your one-man show that you wrote uh, called Bright Colors and, and bold, bold patterns. patterns. That's it, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to get that wrong. I, I sometimes get. I have to say it so many times in the show itself that I. Yeah. It's kind of a tongue twister. Right. Colors and bold patterns. Yeah. So like I, I can hear it because I've seen it twice. Oh yeah, thanks. For saw it out me. here and saw it in New York, and you're going to close out the run and then take it on the road. I know, I know. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah I don't really know exactly how we're going to do that or where, but we definitely we have a lot of companies. Um, around the world actually that are interested in it and so we're hopefully going to try to work out some sort of plan to get me to do it as much as I can and then have some others do it yes I mean, I mean, Jeff, Jeff Hiller Jeff Hiller's been doing it in New York he's so brilliant if you guys don't know who he is he's, he's incredible so it's a solo show he does it solo mm-hmm. you do it solo yeah it's oh, a cool. character it's a character that I wrote so it's not really a lot of it is autobiographical a lot of it is like sort of pieces here and there mm-hmm. but it's certainly not my life story um, thank God so, thank God <laughs> <laughs> I know when people see the show and they're like oh my God that's just like hanging out with you I'm like I'm, I'm sorry or are you happy with that or not like, Really? My character is <laughs> my character is kind of a nightmare. I mean, I love him. I love. I mean, I, I wanted. I wrote like sort of my dream character in this. Yeah. And sort of like. Oh, I love him you too. Know, I'm very. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm always really happy to get work and you know anywhere I can, but like rarely do I get to play a multi-dimensional, um, complicated gay role. There are not that many complicated gay roles written. No. I mean, especially mm-hmm. for those of us who aren't movie stars, and so. I wanted to write somebody that was like, who was a mess, but also like was coming from a place of pain and had a lot of questions and maybe didn't have any answers. I mean, that's sort of what I went into. It that's really goes beneath the surface of a guy like that who might, oh, you know, you. be like a very quick, you know, comic relief character in someone else's, you know, play or, yeah. or, or TV show or movie. But you really, like, delve into like, what is making this guy tick? Why is he acting the way he does? You know, yeah, how does he Yeah, because I feel like those characters are always on the side. And, I mean, I've written a play in which there are three other people um, on stage with And you me. make them so real. But, oh, thank you. And they don't say anything. They don't say anything. They're not, they're just, it's just chairs. So you're stage. not transforming into multiple other characters. No, I'm just the one character, but I'm talking as if there are three other people on stage. He listens to them. But to me, the point of that, I mean, because I've had a lot of people that were like, you can cast three actors in those roles. And it's like, yeah, I could. And it would be a play, a traditional play. But that my character, even though I would talk the most, would still be relegated to the side because it's the comic relief, the clown, the the gay guy at the party that you go, oh my god, he's so much fun until he's had one too many and he's a nightmare and he's dangerous or he let's get away from him yeah or he's not the hot guy that I want to go home with right he's not the guy I want to marry he's not the guy that I that is a success he's the one that we all know and we have elements of him and all of us that you know and so I wanted to write that guy but yeah what's what's been great about watching Jeff Hiller do it is that he's totally made it his own and I sit in the audience and watch him and I it's so weird how I can forget that it's 
the play that I wrote because like it's his. It becomes something completely different. Completely different. different. And so it's exciting to think that like hopefully we'll be able to get productions of it going without me, you know, with multiple actors doing it. And I'd love to see, you know, anybody's take on it because, um, you know, I originally wrote it for me, but it's certainly not like me getting up on stage and saying, hey, I'm Drew Drogi and here's my life. Right. In which, you know, that's, I'd be the only person who could do that. Right. Um, But, um, so no, when you what, first, a, what a rewarding experience that you're able to like see it have a life when you're not physically present. You know? Yeah, that's it's, just, that's yeah. when you first came up with the concept and the character and stuff, were you like, "This is going to be a one man show on stage," or did that kind of develop? Through yeah, the it, well, it was a thing where I well, there was several things. I um, I've always wanted to write a play that was sort of like. Uh, Love, Valor, Compassion, or Boys in the Band, mm-hmm. which is like a group of gay guys in a house together. Yeah. Um, and sort of, but but in the sort of vernacular of my friends and how we sort of talk and how we interact with each other. Because I see those plays and, and I love those plays, obviously, but I'm like, I don't quite know those guys. I mean, it's like, yeah, I it's do a little under the types, but too. they also came from different eras and different mm-hmm. movements. And I mean, if you have the boys in the band is like, so it's so 1968 mm-hmm. and love, valor, compassion is so 1991 or whenever yeah. it came out, like yeah. they so are of the moment. And I was like, I want to write something. And I mean, not to com- you know, compare, <laughs> I wanted to write my, the glass minute, like how many, <laughs> <men compare? laughs> I, think but, you know, I wanted to just write something the way my friends and I talk to each other. And I was invited to a wedding on um, a straight wedding in which they asked the guests not to wear bright colors and bold patterns mm-hmm. to the wedding. And I, it's my friend who I love dearly and God, <laughs> I always make it clear that I'm like, it has nothing to do with her. Personally, but I was so impressed. I was so taken by that title. She was like, "I want that with the wedding part. I want everybody to. I want a really nice palette, and that's just you know a self-admitted control freak." And we're like, you know, I love really, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, but it's like weddings are like that now, and it's really yeah. nuts. But I just was like, and it was around the time that gay marriage became legalized, and I was seeing so many gay couples immediately jumping to the heteronormative model of we have to get married now mm-hmm. and we have to jump into that thing. And obviously while gay marriage is a wonderful thing and marriage equality right, is we absolutely, should have the right. I wish have the right, but we shouldn't feel the need and the pressure right. and the pressure that a lot of women feel from day one when they're told your, your wedding will be the most important day of your life. That, and it's yeah. like, what about me? What about what I want? And, and so anyway, I started thinking about queerness and what are we losing in the sake of trying to be like everybody else. And so I, I was like, I need to write a character. Because if I got up to talk about gay marriage, I would be, I would waffle back between, I think it's great, but I, I'm, I'm worried about what we're losing, I mean, our history. And, and I was like, I want to write a character who's sort of in a, in, who's a much more uh, in the place of this is maybe dangerous. Has and a firm The character gives you a yeah. safe place to kind of like. Yes, exactly. That. Exactly. For sure. And so, um, but also the guy who is um, lonely and terrified of being alone at the same time, who's fighting for individuality and fighting for our otherness and how important that is, but also someone who's like, I am, you know, I'm desperate to be loved and I want to be treated, you know, and he's mm-hmm. the bitchiest you know, uh, you know. Yeah, and has a really hard time. One, but he has a hard time. Yeah, has a hard time keeping a relationship going. Yes, I mean, the, one of the people that he's going to visit and going to the wedding with is his ex. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you can kind of see why that didn't work. Yeah. Out. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. <laughs> and you know, and I just wanted to sort of. I mean, I just love the the questions that it that it raises, and I love talking to people afterwards, and you know, uh, about that. And I just sort of like it was just one of those things that I was. Just feeling like I didn't want to do a play that was yelling at straight people for like what they. I just thought that was boring, and I didn't want to do something that was like that necessarily made us feel good about ourselves all the time because that also felt boring. You know, I was like, I wanted to just sort of have a little more complicated. Yeah, he's a really so. complicated character. Yeah, um, and I love that aspect of it that you talked about. Um, because I remember when when the whole gay marriage thing was happening, and that you know, like. There were benefits and whatever, and it just and I just remember thinking like, oh, am I supposed to want that now? Right. Exactly. I mean, I had grown up just thinking like, okay, well, marriage is not something that 
gay people do and right. like fuck marriage right. you know like I don't need marriage to validate my life or my exactly. relationship yeah. and That's then all of a sudden they're just like no we're fighting for this right and I'm just like really? I grew up while Uh-oh. the fight was like in full force right, I, right. I was like thinking like 5th grade when it became legalized in Massachusetts in 2003 no no, Fifth I was grade older than that. I was in high school. I was in high school. What am I thinking? Oh my no, God. yeah, 2003. I was in high school. But it was like, <laughs> I was, say, I was uh, I'm seven. <laughs> uh, no, but it was like, like you know, it was happening. <laughs> it was like, this is happening. We want mm-hmm. this. We want this. And mm-hmm. I was very much like, I want, you know, I want it. I want to have the rights that everybody else has. So. Mm-hmm. It just I'm, felt I'm like, totally down with that. Like oh, I don't want to be surprised. Yeah, that's so funny oh, that God. after the show, and I've had, and I had, and I knew it would happen that people would, you know, that people have criticized my play and me of being anti-marriage equality, which is hilarious to me. I'm like, I'm not even going to answer that. I'm like, because I'm quite, because I'm, I'm asking for like conversation and nuance and sort of. And and I am arguing that we says, can have like, both. Are, are we all supposed to want that? Like, right. it, like do and I have yeah, to do that? And I sure. think that anytime we start to think that we all are supposed to want this one thing, we're in trouble. And I think it's like I think you can have both marriage equality and the option not to do it. I think you can have right. everything. I think that's yeah. what we should be fighting for. Is the is unlimited options. And I you know, think that as, the as character to, is calling conformity into question. Yes, yes. You know, just like, we don't all have to be the same. Right. You know, like, and the thing that we fought for is... In muted colors. Is, yes, and that's the thing. I was like, what if a gay wedding asked the guests not to wear bright colors and bold patterns? And what does that mean? And I was like, we're all about finding bright colors we're, and bold patterns. We're gay. However, yeah. I did I did have someone go, and he mentioned, I, and, I'm, and I'm drawing a blank, but I wouldn't, I'm not going to say it anyway, because I think it was a famous person who had a gay wedding in which all the guests were asked to wear black and white. Oh. And they were so, they were like, we just came from this wedding, and we never thought of it in context of that, but oh my God, how creepy yeah. that you have to go to, you know. And again, I get it. We want pretty weddings. We want everyone to look we want the pictures to be pretty. It's not really, it's not deeper than that. But the, but what? But or is it? You know, like, an, or what are we fighting for? And and also in the sense that like, we all have to go to the gym. We all have to look a certain way. We all are, yeah, you know, we, you know. It's like we, yeah, you know, that sort of sense of like what we're, what we sort of, you know, it's it becomes dangerous and you know I've been so in what we were talking about before this started like I'm so obsessed with cults right now and I think the next thing I'm going to be writing which is very sort of uh, I have no idea in my head right now but this idea that we have this we have this cult mentality in us like and it can translate in a lot of different ways and that like we all think like there's one collective subconscious that we have to all aspire to and that is terrifying yeah for sure you know but but it's but I see it happening all the time and you see it happening online where people are like, if you don't agree with me, I don't even want to hear from you. And if you and and, and I'm well, that's and like what's you, happening with politics right now. Absolutely, people talk and people to aren't. And and it's like, and there are just as many closed-minded liberal people as there are closed-minded conservative totally. people. And it's a thing that makes me insane. Where it's just like, where it's like we're not having discourse and conversation. Instead, it's like we're saying, um, if you're not, you know, exactly how I feel about everything, then you don't get to. And it's so divisive. And we are going to We don't so live low. in two different countries. And it's no. like we, we can't go to the point where, like, there's, like, a schism and, you know, it becomes, like, you know, this America and that America. No. Like, and to, we really – we live in the same country. We, we share, you know, risks and we're on the streets together. We have to figure it out, you know, yeah. and, and talk to each it's other. It's hard with the whole online aspect, too, because it has that distancing effect where people yes. feel like they can say whatever they want and they can and they can be as extreme as they want and exactly. they will say things that they would never say to people in the, to their faces if you're uh, actually at a course. table yeah. sitting with somebody. And, and you have like, time to think about what you're going to write and cleverly mm-hmm. craft you know this thing and it's and it is very controlled because you're in your because you're in your safe space yeah right and exploding and spewing whatever you whatever you feel and um yeah i mean i'm i'm you know you know i have lately started just you know blocking people and defriending people not because i don't want their opinions of life but when they cross a line with when i feel like it's abusive and when i feel like it's like even when i agree with what they have to say it's like 
I didn't ask for that. Like, it's like I'm inviting you over to my house for a party. Don't come in and take a shit on the floor. Like, you're in my house. Like, <laughs> yeah. if you're going to go on my on my mm-hmm. wall or you're going to go on my Twitter feed and log me and, and just start screaming at me, even when I – it's just sort of like not – not okay. Not what 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 this is about. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in hearing different opinions. Like it's not a, like it's not like I because I disagree with what you're saying. It's a lot of times it's people that I agree with, but I don't like the way they're doing it. I, and I just mm-hmm. don't think it's a way to have active discourse. It's like no, you don't get to do that. And 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 um and it, it's tricky because it's like you know we I, I get it and and I mean I love that people are are furious and are active and are interested in what's going on. But I think that we are in a, it's, it's scary where people, um, they're blanketing, they're sort of, mar- they're, they're, you know, I don't know. It's like, if you say like, if there's like, if anytime you say X group of people are like this, this, and this, you're in trouble. It's yes, like, it's, it, how different absolutely. is that? How different is that from the, you know, on I, I, whatever side of the issue you're on, that is inhumane as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, and I think that liberals and, you know, Democrats just need to do a better job of talking to people. Yes. You know, we're the compassionate party. Yeah, and, and just not, and not ignoring, <laughs> not according to like, what we're, I think, that right? Whole, <laughs> that whole, like, you know, basket of deplorables, you know, idea. I know. Just like, I, I thought she lost it right there. Mm-hmm. I just remember seeing that. I'm like, what? Why would you say that? Why would you say that? Um, but, I know. That's not what we're here to talk about. Yeah. We're here to talk about Drew Drogi. <laughs> yeah, I had a question so, earlier yeah, that yeah. came up in my head. Did you have you had a history in New York? Did you live there at all, or was this play kind of your first outing uh, to? Yeah, I've I've never lived there. Um, I I've worked there back and forth a lot, and I go there. I try to go there at least once a year, and mm-hmm. I, I mean I've. I've, I mean, like since college, I've I've got up there, and and I'm a big theater person, so I go and see totally. all the plays and musicals, and so I try to see as much as I can up there. So, and I and I have obviously a lot of you know actor writer friends that are there, and so I usually so, um, but I've never uh, this is my first real thing that I've ever done in New York. I've done so like cool. one off shows, and I've done yeah, like comedy sure. shows and stuff there, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. So, in order to be, I mean, the fact that this play was received so lovingly and well by the New York theater community was, is like, I don't take that lightly. Like I really, absolutely. I really have to, cause when you're in the middle of doing a show, it's hard and doing, and as, and as, um, you know, Michael Urie uh, is our director and he obviously knows more about how many days a week are you doing the show? When I was doing New York, I was doing seven shows a week. So I was on and I did, so I was on for six days and then I was off, I had one day off a week. And Michael has done, Michael was doing his, or the solo show, Buyer and Seller, that Jonathan Tolan wrote. Did you see that? with mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And he's amazing in that show. But he was saying the other day, he was like, doing a one-person show doesn't get easier. It actually gets harder the longer you do it. And it's so true because the energy that you have to have to do that, every to go down and, get, and pick that up every, and it's so wildly different every night. And I think more in a solo show than any other play because it really is this weird relationship between you and that audience that night. And in New York, you know, I mean, when I do the show in L.A., it's, I mean, I live here. I've lived here for almost 20 years. It's usually in a much smaller theater. I walk out on stage and at least half the audience, if not 95% of the audience, knows me on some level. Like has met me before or has seen me in something else or is a good friend or on some level that... So I have their con- I mean I have their confidence the second I walk out on stage just yeah, they've already like, bought into they know me they and know they're like oh this will be great or this will be yeah, fun or we yeah. or whatever yeah and I in New York it's rare that that more than two or three people in the audience in a given night know me at all right. I mean they might know who I am but they don't know me and if they if they know me it might be through my YouTube videos they don't really know me on stage they don't mm-hmm. know what I do so they are they are a lot more fair. You know, I mean, they're not going to give me like a free ride to go yeah. out there and sleepwalk through it. And there are <laughs> nights that they would, there would be 15 minutes that would go by before I would get a single laugh. And then there's... Was the, that first performance nerve-wracking? Oh, my God. Work? Well, Michael would give me such good advice because Michael, you know, did Byron Seller like over 600 times like all over the world. Yeah. And <clears throat> he said, he was like, there are nights that no one there has any idea who you are. And he was like, all you can do is not panic not push and not give up. Mm-hmm. He's like, you just have to do the play. And I had to remind myself of that constantly because 
some of those audiences ended up being fantastic by the end. Some of them, I it never, I never, we never hit. <laughs> I walk on stage like, that was real hard. <laughs> the beauty is like, with doing that many shows, is that you're like, I have another one in five minutes, so I can't worry about it too much. Yeah. I have to go on and do the next one. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then the next one would maybe kill and everyone would love it but I couldn't take that to heart too much either I couldn't be like oh my god I'm amazing all of a sudden because it's like <laughs> you, you have to you know so the, the lesson is like you have to know what you're doing is good <clears throat> not excellent not terrible it's just good mm-hmm. do it keep going you know and all that but um, it's exhausting and <clears throat> on top of it because it was my show um, on top of having to do it I had to make a lot of business decisions about how long we were going to keep running or like cutting budget here or adding this or doing this publicity thing. So I was on the phone constantly and doing press and talking to people about it and doing podcasts and doing all this stuff. So on that, and then you you had to go to the theater and then do the show. And then you had to talk to people after the show in the bar downstairs because they want to talk to you afterwards. And then you would, I'd be so geared up up at the show. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or whatever it is. Yes, exactly. So, I would, I, you know, I, it would take, it would take one or two cocktails to knock me down and then I'd be mm-hmm. so tired and then I'd wake up the next day. So my one day off, I was more tired than I was any of the other days. Cause I finally let my body deal with what I'd done for this right. last six yeah, days. Yeah, totally. like, so it gets really, really tough. And so I, it was one of those things that I had to remind myself in the middle of all that, like, oh my God, how lucky am I? And how awesome is this experience? And it kind of doesn't get better than this. I have to remind myself, it doesn't really get better yeah, I mean, this than getting is the to do your own run. show in New York. I really, I'm so grateful to that. And I and I have to remind myself because it's a thing where, you know, you're like, no matter what you're going through, your human body doesn't realize, this is great. Like, your body's like, I'm tired. Yeah, I need yeah. food. I need sleep. I don't need to, like... Take so, care of me. Right. And your voice gets really, you know, wiped out. And I mean, um, this is the, it's right now in its second run, you know, in New York. I saw it December of 2016 when yeah. you did it. And then you, they brought it back December of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still running. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going back for the last week, next week. So it will, we, we close next, uh, we'll close on April 9th. So probably by the time this right. comes they, out, it'll be, it'll it will be have already, but it will have closed. been a triumphant return. Yeah. We'll retake New York by storm. Yeah. Drogi. Back, y'all. And then you're going into another encore um, run Mm -hmm. of Charles Bush's Die, Mommy, Die. Yes, which I'm so excited about. In which you are hilarious. Thank you. Oh my God, Sophia. I saw that twice, too. Oh, you did? Oh my God, it's so fun. (laughs) Well, because I. I kept wanting to take people to it. Oh, yeah. And that's in Los Angeles. That would be in L.A. We're doing that at the Kirk Douglas Which is the biggest venue you've done it at. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And um, uh, I'm so excited because, um, yeah, it's the biggest theater thing I've done in L.A. Um, What we – Celebration Theater did it last year, and we we ran for like three months uh, around this time last year. And, uh, yeah, it it was also such a nice thing to to go into after doing – my own show, which is a comedy, but also has a lot of drama and pain and, uh, you know, uh, whatever in it. And like, Die, Mommy, Die is just a pure, stupid, fun, over-the-top drag. And you get to work with other actors. And I get to be, that's the thing, too. Yeah. I love being on stage with other actors and playing with them. And I we had a dream cast. It was honestly, like, five other actors who I just love so much. We had such a good time. It's like, that's rare when that happens, when you actually are like, we all get along we're all having a great time and it, you know, it was pretty wonderful. So, um, yeah, but, um, center theater group is doing this really awesome thing that they started last year called block party where they select three shows from the previous theater season and they give them two week runs at the Kirk Douglas. And so they've selected us to do this run. And so we get to be in a nice giant theater on a big set with, you know, in front of 300 people a night. It's amazing. Is it all the same cast? Same cast. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's going to be really fun. They're very funny. I was reading it again, and I'm just I'm very excited to jump back in. And, and I'm gonna, when I'm in New York next week, I'm going to see Charles's new play, because he has a new play oh, coming cool. out called The Confession of Lily Dare, I believe that's the name of it, uh, that I'm going to see next week when I'm there. So um, I'm, I'm just so excited. I mean, Charles Bush is somebody that I've known and loved all my... I mean, I somehow found a copy of Psycho Beach Party when I was in high school and demanded that my high school theater department do it, and they, took a, they read it, and they're like... Absolutely not. It's so, 
you know, dark-sided and queer <laughs> and perfect. Um, but um, so we ended, up, we ended up doing some awful other old chestnut from the 40s. But um, yeah, anyway, I love I love Charles's. Work. I think the reason that I that I went to see it again because um, it's because I took Bob King, who directed uh, Psycho Beach Park. Oh, the, the, the film. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, great. Awesome. And he loved it. I love. I love that movie. Uh, he loves Charles, and he loved you in it. Oh, that's very sweet. Um, it was very, very funny. Yeah. Um, so let's go back much further. Deep dive. Deep. We, we do try to talk to people about like their their the journey and their origins. Mm-hmm. And I'm forgetting exactly what state in the South you're from. North Carolina. North Carolina. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm from North Carolina. Where I grew- well, we moved around a lot, but we were pretty much between the Carolinas and Virginia a little bit. But yeah. Siblings? Uh, yeah, younger brother. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, we're really close. Nice. He's pretty wonderful. Very cool. Is he, like, just thrilled to bits about, like, the what's happening through <laughs> Drogi? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, he um, he and my sister-in-law surprised me and came to the show in New York. Oh, cool. And I had no idea they were there. They love to surprise. They 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 surprised me for my birthday party last year, and I was I just I walked in and they were there. They had flown in for my party last year. And oh wow! They did the same at my. And what was weird was going out on stage, and I could hear I could hear my sister in law first laughing in the audience, and I was like, "That's there's no way that's not her," <laughs> and um and so during the show, I my brain was just like. Is that really them? Are they really here? And then I was like, focus, you're doing a play. Like, it's just you up here. You got to keep the train going. Um, But yeah, they are, they're really wonderful. And they're, he, my brother's really busy. He um, does this job that I can't quite explain. Uh, He, one of the, one of those things that like, I mean, I've always been. Is it in the government? Does it have to do with technology? Like technology? It's technology. It's no. It's it's. Uh, so um, you it's can't turn on a TV, but he. That's is. the thing. He we're, <laughs> we're wildly different in that way. Like he, uh, he. It's mainly um. It's like digital insurance. It's like um. And like pro- providing um firewall protection for. You know, oh, and okay. it's, it's for like companies you know, and stuff. Oh, yeah, like their stuff safe. Internet so, security. Internet that's security. That's pretty much what he does, and uh, yeah. And he's very you, good at it. He's very well security. But what he's also you, yeah. the funniest person I know. And he's and he's and he has these two really demented, wonderful children that are so clearly. I just I once oh, how old and, Uncle Drew? They, oh, they are um, ten and six. Yeah, I don't. I don't get to see my nephews and niece enough either. They live in New Jersey and adorable. Fantastic. How many nieces and nephews do you have? I have two nephews who are like 14, 12... And then a ten-year-old niece. Oh, nice! Very cool. I probably have those uh, ages wrong. Oh, Sorry. Well, that's the thing too. I, I panic about this because someone's <laughs> like, "Oh my god!" I think, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just—they're just such interesting little people. I just love how my brother is raising his and sister-in-law are both raising their kids because they're just—they're just weird in the best way. I love them to death. Um, but yeah. Anyway, there. Yeah, I. I we were very close. My family was very um, loud and outspoken and funny. I was the quiet one in my family, and I still really? am when I go wow. back. Yeah, I'm always. I was always the quiet one in the corner. You were reading. observing. I was observing for sure. Yeah. Um, and um, what did your parents do? Uh, my dad sold furniture. My dad sold lazy boy okay. chairs mainly. He did a bunch of lines, but that was the main thing that he did. Um, so did you have nice furniture in the house? We did. We didn't have any lazy boy in the house. Sorry, lazy boy. <laughs> my parents were. T- my mom's an interior designer, oh, so like, they were very. They wouldn't have it. They were very. They were very snotty about what we did. But we, yeah. Um, they and they passed none of that on to me. I mean, you would think the gay kid would have any sort of design knowledge. That you have two parents that knew a lot about it, and I am. I have no clue. I'm just like. <laughs> My mom, I always say my mom would cry if she saw how my, my apartment's thrown together in my place in L.A. It's just <laughs> seven lazy boys all in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I do have lazy boys, actually. A uh, lazy boy uh, sofa. Hope you um, got a discount. Uh, I, oh, sure. I sure did. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, that's the, you know, so we were in the, like, furniture world. Um, Where was this? Is this small In Lincolnton, town? North Carolina. Lincolnton. Uh-huh. <laughs> it just rolls right up the tongue, doesn't it? What part, what part of the state is it's that? It's near Charlotte. It's, it's, um, okay. it's, yeah, it's near Gastonia, which is just such a beautifully named place. Uh, Gastonia. Uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. I've been to Charlotte. Okay, yeah. It's about, yeah, it's about an hour away from Charlotte. 
And you went to college in North I went to college Carolina. at Wake Forest, which is in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Theater? Theater. I was a theater major, which ended up, I mean, it was, it, all of it was perfect in retrospect. It made no sense, really, why I went there other than, well, well, I went to Wake to be an English major because I didn't think, I mean, there was no possibility you could be an actor or a writer for a living. I mean, like, growing up, that was just, that was just. How do you see that a path? Dream. People in your in your world didn't go do that. No, no one, no one did that. Yeah. And like, so I was like, I'll do theater on the side, but what I really want to do, I was going to be an English professor. So I, you know, I, I looked at um, a bunch of schools with their, mainly for their English department. And then I looked at the theater department as well, because I wanted to do plays while I was there. So I was yeah. interested in it, but, um, and so Wake Forest had a really great English department and, uh, you know, Maya Angelou taught there and that was a big reason why I wanted to go there. And, um, she was a disappointment. That's another podcast to talk about as well. Um, but, um, <laughs> I've actually I just, seen you I talk learned, about that. Yeah, oh yeah. No, I just me. learned like, don't worship <laughs> idols. It was the lesson I learned. Like, don't, we're all people and we're all complicated that, you know, um, but I, but, but I wanted to do that. And then the English department was so hard and it was so it was just like read a bunch of old dead white guys and write papers about them and that was kind of the the sort of mo and then i was always doing theater and i was always in the theater department and i just just gravitated theater so people are way more. much more fun to hang out way with. more yeah. fun i started as an engineering that's what i did too classical oh, really? piano I and i ended theater. up doing theater right away right okay. and i just realized people. i was like first of all High school was so easy for me, and I made really good grades, and college was not. College was tough. Wake Forest is a tough school. Mm -hmm. And I was like, just to get through the requirements, I was like, theater's easy. Like, I'm going to go into, I'm going to take, you know, on top of it, and I have a passion for it, and I'm not going to work hard for it. I'm going to show up. Like, I... I didn't miss theater classes because I, I loved it. And even when I had to get in, in it awake, I had to take, like, lighting design and costume design and I had to yeah. stage manage. I got to do all of it. It wasn't just, like, acting. Did you live in the dorms? I did for two years, and then I moved off yeah. campus. Yeah, um, for sure. My last two years. Totally. And then, um, but, yeah, I, but, and, and it was weird because I never really, like, I was cast in a lot of things because... You know, I, I was fine. I wasn't, but I wasn't the star of the theater department by any any stretch of imagination. And I wasn't ever really the lead. I mean, I was always like the dad because I was always tall, mm -hmm. and I would play like the fathers or like a side weird character. Um, and I was never really encouraged because the, even in the theater department, they don't encourage you to be an actor because they're liberal arts, and so they're thinking very much. It's it's the you're learning the the the, the art, trade the craft, yeah. the history. Yes, but you're going to do something else with your life. You're not probably going to do this mm -hmm. with your. It's not a, and unless you teach, unless you teach exactly. Yeah. And they encouraged me a lot into going into into academia. And I just I couldn't imagine after my bachelor's degree going in to get a master's because I was like I need to get out of school. I've been in school way too much. Um, but I, I it, it, it was really it was you know. I mean, it was my senior year, there was a teacher, um, Cindy Gendrick, who came in my senior year, who encouraged me. She was like, she was the one saying, you need to do Christopher Durang, you need to do, and I was actually directing a Durang play at the time, and she's like, this is your world, and, mm -hmm. she, we, and she ended up actually coming out here 10 years ago and directing me in another Charles Bush play. I did Red Scare on Sunset oh. out here in um, 2008, and she's been into, like, and she was like, improv, sketch, comedy, that's the world, that's you, and then she saw me. In a way that my other professors never really did. Because I was always to the side. I wasn't this like... I tried to do drama and I would get laughs. And I was trying to do this stuff that... I, and I never found my footing when I was in my early 20s. I just didn't... I didn't I didn't read as my twin. I was just... I wasn't that yeah. person. And so that's when, when I came out here to visit. And I walked into the Groundlings. And I saw all those character actors on the wall. Like the pictures of all the alumni and I saw the people that I was like oh that's what I want to do like these right. I want to be like right. these actors and this is a path this is a possibility to at least do this on some level you know that's so great to and have somebody to see you for who you are and not a professor that's trying to change you and turn no you not at all yeah that's great. And, and we're still really close to this day and we still talk on Facebook and mm -hmm. you know and I, I I will always thank her for being that person in my life to say you know, like you, you should be doing this, you know, and, and, you know, and just, you'll enjoy, I mean, it wasn't even like there was a, you know, selling me this bill of goods, like you'll be, you know, 
insanely wealthy doing this. It was just like, maybe try this. I think you'll like this, which is also mm. really, really wonderful. And um, now you do teach. You teach. I do teach. And I, and I, you know, and what's so funny was when I say I, I couldn't bear being in school, I went right into classes at the Groundlings. But that was so where you I went straight from college to LA. Into LA. I went to LA and then I went and started. Was that, an, was that an easy choice where you're just like, I, I'm, I gotta get did out of here? Did you think about New York? I did. I thought about both and I had visited LA and New York both and I, it was honestly like, it was the, it was the weirdest. I had the, the you know, I, I had a lot of, I had friends both in LA and in New York, college friends who were living both places. So I'm like, I have a base of friends both places. Sure. Um, and, it probably would have made more sense for me to go to New York because I, I, at first, but I had, I was like, I love the weather yeah, that, in LA. That does it. And me. honestly, <laughs> and I was like, and I was, and New York felt so scary. And a lot of people say LA feels more scary. I, it's so weird how I, but I, there was something about LA that I was like, I feel like I can, I can do this. And New York didn't have, especially then, the equivalent of the Groundlings, and I really wanted to study the Groundlings. And right. I was like, I think I'm going to try L.A. first. Yeah. And then try to go to New York. And also, I was Which seeing, has now happened. Which has now <laughs> happened. 20 years later. Uh, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I was, I, I was already seeing the writing on the wall on Broadway. The stars that were on Broadway were either these insane powerhouse legends who could sing their faces off, and I'm a horrible singer, and I can't dance, I have none of that. And the people that were, like, successful, the other people were, like, TV stars that they were putting on stage. And I was like, well, I guess I'll go to L.A. and get on TV so that I can be in theater in New York. I mean, really, the, <laughs> the end game was always to do theater in New York, yeah. for me. And, you know, <clears throat> and I, yeah, and now I just like to do all of it, and whenever I can, and do all the kind of stuff, but... Yeah, I always had more respect for people who did to theater, and I was like, I guess I'll have to get on some crazy sitcom, <laughs> and then you know, I don't know, that was my mentality, and that didn't really happen that way, but but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you and you've done something really smart that I think everyone kind of needs to do if they're gonna, you know, like have a, a sustained career is create your own opportunities and just like yeah, you have like to. no one's going to see you and know like you can do this the way you can. Right. And that that's the thing that the internet has has changed my life. I don't know what totally. I would have done without without that because you know, before that or you know, obviously I you know, it's when I first started and I was you had to kind of be seen live on stage doing something and like a showcase. And so when you perform at the Groundlings, you know, you might do a thing and maybe you know, a handful of people come and see you there and you might get a job or two out of it or they kind of mm-hmm. get to know you that. Or it might be the night that. And I did get a lot of opportunities. And I always try to credit the Groundlings for so many opportunities. And to this day, because I still, the the relationships that I have there are, you know, um, have been wonderful on, on so many levels. Not levels, not levels, not just, not just, not just professionally, but personally and everything. But it's the luck of the draw. I mean, SNL might come the night that you're doing the killer thing that might be the thing that they're looking for. And that, right, I've seen that happen for people so clearly. And I've been there with people where I'm like, boom, and that there's a direct shot. Um, but if it doesn't happen that way, you can't think, well, I'm not as good as those people or I'm terrible and I can't do the thing. You have, I mean, and now, if you have a phone in your pocket, you can make a movie. Absolutely. Right? And so it's like, you can't wait around. And so... For me, I mean, I would go in and I would pitch, you know, I would, I would go up for these sketch comedy shows and they would say, who are your characters? And I would say, well, I have this impression of Chloe Sevigny that I would do. Well, in the room, if they knew who that was, they would laugh and go, well, that's not, that nobody's going to get that. No one's going to think that that's, that doesn't appeal to anyone. And, you know, I mean, the hilarious and the, thing and about the conversation that. ends yeah. there. Before the internet, before they don't you even have, see it, they don't see it, and then it's like it's done. Yeah, and plus, you, you have that critique in your head, and you don't of need, course, you don't need to know who Chloe Sevigny is to think that no. those videos are uh, hilarious. Uh, uh, thanks, but you, yeah, yeah, but it's like uh, the videos have proven people wrong in the sense that, like, what I love is that there's no star anymore who could open a movie just based on their name. Mm. I mean, in the world, maybe The Rock. And Melissa McCarthy, or maybe the two people who, I mean, seriously, <laughs> yeah, who sure. the world will go, okay, they're in it, I'll go see it. But other than that, the there are major one, stars yeah. that can't open a movie that have huge, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the business says, oh, we have to put a name in it. Sorry, we, we have to we have to replace you with a, with a name. Well, I always think that is the stupidest choice because the name is going to cost more money. The name is probably not going to be as passionate about the project as mm-hmm. the original person 
is, was, and the audience doesn't care. And audience they really won't. don't. They just want to see good movies right. a lot of times. No one's going, you know, people watch Stranger Things, and yes, Winona Ryder and Matthew Modine were in it, but it's not like those were the reasons why people, you know, it's like, we, I was so thrilled that those of us that grew up watching those two actors were thrilled that they're back. But it's about those kids. That's mm-hmm. why you watch Stranger Things. All these shows on Netflix, like Glow and Orange is the New Black, and all these shows when you're like, these ensemble shows, we were like, we're watching, you know, we want to watch these characters in the story. We're not, we don't care about yeah, the, the star that's behind it. And yeah. if a big name is on it, great. But it doesn't, and it's, a, a, the internet's been a great equalizer in that sense that I think is, is really cool and exciting. Were those Chloe videos um, that you started like literally maybe eight, nine, oh, at ten least. years yeah. ago? Yeah. Um, are, were that, was that the first time you put your own material up on the web or have you I already been doing so. that? I mean, I think I did some other things before that, um, but it was, well, no, before that, the thing that was a, the, my first sense of the viral video thing we're talking about was a cartoon that um, Mike Rose and Tyler Spears wrote called Planet Unicorn. I mean, if you ever saw that or remembered that. I don't remember it. It was, it was before that and it took off and it was a huge, um, it was something for Channel 101, and they wrote it, and they just put me on it, and so I got to ride that wave. And you I were the voice of a sassy unicorn. I sure was, <laughs> um, and it's on. Was it's it the Charlie the Unicorn? No, it was not Charlie the Unicorn. We were often compared, and, and people thought that's you know, like the uh, you know the, that's the the rival, the rival, the rival <laughs> unicorn show. Uh, you know, but um, no, it was this. It's the show about. It's set in the in the year twenty one seventeen. A gay boy named Shannon is given three wishes, <laughs> and he wishes for a fur jacket, a car that flies, and a planet full of unicorns. Oh. And this is the story of that planet. <laughs> so the show was written from the point of view of an eight-year-old gay boy. Oh. So it was as if he got to write his own show. So it was very innocent. It was very sweet. And I think, and I will, because I, I can say this, I didn't write it, very groundbreaking, and because it wasn't, especially then, I didn't know anything else that existed that was gay without being dirty, yeah. without being sarcastic, mean-spirited, um, and or fabulous. It was from a child's point of view. And it was like, mm-hmm. you know, it was like the unicorn just wanted to hang out all day and eat ambrosia and, and take naps and say <laughs> nice things to each other. And then there's a bad man who was turning, there was a pink waterfall. And there was a bad man in the town who was turning the waterfall brown. And so the unicorns like shattered him and yay, it's pink again. And that's the story. Like it's so simple. <laughs> So and, there were um, lots of unicorns. There were three the of planet. us. But a planet of unicorns. Planet of unicorns. Three was, speaking roles. Speak, for- and our, <laughs> yes, our names were Feathers, Cadillac, and Tom Cruise. And uh, so those are the names. Were you of the, Feathers? I was Feathers. Okay. Because Feathers is the southern one. Uh, and then Cadillac was Latin. And then Tom Cruise was just like, hey, I'm Tom Cruise. And uh, with no references to Tom Cruise whatsoever. Oh, he had the name Tom Cruise. God. So that was a big hit. I can't believe you didn't get like, a cease and desist it's, from we, about that. We had a lot of very interesting uh, <laughs> adventures. No joke with yeah. that show. And we could have gone a lot further. I'm positive had we not had a unicorn named Tom Cruise because we had we had a lot of very big people picking that show up and interested in it and then we realized oh we're not going anywhere with this what's going on and um because the creators refused to change the name Tom Cruise and we were just sort of so yeah I mean I don't I mean you know so it's interesting I was like I was like wow that really is well you have a you have a history of um like maybe it's maybe it's um paying homage or slash eviscerating <laughs> celebrities. Yeah, um, I love like, it. I'm fascinated by Chloe Sevigny. Yeah, I'm fascinated by celebrity uh, culture. And, I mean, there's one thing I wanted to ask you about. You and um, I forget his name. It's like Lu- Michael Lucid. Uh-huh. You do a, Tanya Roberts. A recap of RuPaul's Drag Race, <laughs> and you do it in the character of Tanya Roberts. And this is such a crazy evisceration of Tanya Roberts. I'm just it's like, also like not really her at all. She can't really be that, that way. person. No, I just to me, I always like to. But you ref- you reference her career. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I do, yeah. It's it's, like, I, I, her, my, yeah, I definitely <laughs> I reference her her career points way more than I ever would Chloe Sevigny. Like Chloe Sevigny to me is an is an alien offshoot of the real Chloe Sevigny. Oh no, you created your totally other being. It's hilarious. It's to me, yeah. I, I, I'm never really into... First of all, I can never... I've, I've tried to play celebrities who I don't like at all, and it just doesn't work. I have a friend who would always cast me in his comedy shows, and I did a couple of videos, as Ann Coulter, 
And I hate it because oh. she's awful, and I hate even being her yeah. for five where's, minutes. Where's the fun? And she that? is her own parody of herself. She's playing a character named Ann Coulter. Yeah. So it just I walk out on stage and get a laugh because it's like ha ha ha, and then I start talking and the audience is like, ugh, we hate you. Go away. <laughs> Truly, it's laugh, no fun. Sure. And how do you you know? So to me, like, what's fun about playing somebody who is innocuous and it's sort of like I like to sort of capture the spirit and the world around. Like, I'm fascinated by, uh, you know, sleazy 80s, uh, you know, that sort of L.A. world of L.A. noir. And I sort of like... Imagine, like, and I heard what's happened and it, to Tanya Roberts? Right. And it's like... <laughs> Who's Tanya Roberts? Has, yes, she, be- so yeah, has she, she become yeah. a Gorgon? She, <laughs> <laughs> she's actually gorgeous. She looks incredible. She's, you know, she was the last Charlie's Angel. Uh, she was on Charlie's Angel. She was the oh, last... Okay. And she was on that 70s show. She was uh, somebody, somebody's mother on that she show. She did play that. And, and she, 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 ha- she was in a movie she's called a Bond girl. Sheena. Sheena, Queen of the Desert. Queen, you know, okay. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's she was, she was huge, on 80s... Yes. An 80s star. Star. My and star. She, and I was inspired because she was doing these commercials for this timeshare outside of Vegas called Tahiti Village. <laughs> and that's all real. And, oh. and she was doing this thing. And so I always am pushing Tahiti Village. Because that's, <laughs> what, you know, to me, it was just, that's what inspired it. Because I heard her on the radio giving this hardcore push. And she has a voice. She's a gorgeous one that has a voice that sounds like it has survived the darkest parties we've ever had. <laughs> and so that's what inspired me with the character was like, lived. who has that voice? Yeah. You know, and who's lived in Hollywood. And so I was like, I created this, I created this offshoot of her that's just, that is, that is very gleefully proud to tell you about the horrible realities of being a, Oh, you know. I mean, his life has not gone her way. No, but she's thrilled to be there. Like, she's really not oh, bitter. Yeah. No, she's that, not. You know, she's drunk. She's very drunk and, she's, she and can't be horny, sober. and always and we'll do, and we'll do anything with anyone. Um, it was also <laughs> it was also for me. It's just like we're doing Chloe, which I love playing Chloe, but she's so pure and so sort of holy and above everything, and sort of. You know, and um, it was fun to be somebody who was just like rolling around and licking the garbage. And I yeah. and I love too that she has very little patience for RuPaul's Drag Race, which <laughs> is the whole reason <laughs> for these videos. It's like she's yeah. she, she's recapping episodes of it. She was like, "What? Yeah. Are we still watching it? Is it still on? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> How many more episodes is this thing?" <laughs> Um, <laughs> a totally a character I'm playing. I promise you. Uh, well, we, when yeah. we did the season, was it last season? Was that season nine? And it was a rough season to get that. We we did not set out to be so because I love RuPaul and I love Drag Race. Oh my god, me too. I'm a huge fan. I, I love it. And I and I think he is it's such a great show. He, and he's truly changed the world for good. And and he loves place. you. He genius. was in the audience. He's been wonderful. At, to um, me. Yeah, he really die, mommy, die. Him. When I saw it. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He really and then he tweeted it. about he's it. Very sweet. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's a big I love, fan. I love him. Um, the, that season of Drag Race that we were watching left a lot to be desired. So it was fun for us to just be like, I cannot believe it. But you even saw Rue. Rue got irritated with them. Oh, yeah. And Michelle Visage, they all got so like, are you kidding me? How are you this basic? Uh, you've been on the show for the, you've watched the show for right. this long. You know what it this is. This is all you have to bring to the yeah. table? Yeah. You know, so I think had, had Drag Race been a better season... I haven't watched it this season, but I think I, I'm already hearing it's this better. This new season, season is pretty it's on pretty, fire. pretty great. You know, well, and that's, they really don't the know. Personalities, the personalities are great and they're actively trying to be more, they're like, you know, fuck this kumbaya shit. Like, yeah. like we're, we're going to like go at each other. The drama. Uh, they, they have, uh, you know, they have, what's it called? That, um, that after show that untucked, oh, untucked, untucked but that's back that. oh that's oh good good good, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. right so that's, yeah that's really that's better really right. yeah. do you ever have any sort of creative burnout because oh, you've completely. done so many things so have you had any points I, I've like, had it recently actually and I've had to just like because I was so busy last year I was um, I was also I, I was shooting Heather's the TV show which is going to come out in May which maybe the time I don't know if that was yes, yes. So I was shooting that all last year. I was yeah, writing. Oh, it's success to this point. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. We're gonna make sure. <laughs> so I was on that. I was. I don't, it was. It was a great year, but it was. A, I was. I didn't have. A, I was. It was great because I was doing that, and I was writing on the Netflix show Big Mouth, the cartoon. Oh my Nicole's god, that's cartoon, such a good show. Which is so. I which love was. That. Which is mm-hmm. an incredible experience. Super I was funny. doing those two jobs. 
And then I went right into doing Bright Colors in New York. Mm-hmm. And then I came back here and did the Golden Girls on stage here for two weeks. And it was we did 19 shows in 10 days. And it was Yeah, just Eric took me to that. So, I saw it. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Oh, and thank it's so you. funny. But I was like... I was really busy and I needed a break. And so lately, in the last month, I haven't really had, I'm getting ready to get into, you know, my own stuff again, but I've, I've been trying to write my next show. I've been trying to come up with it. Mm-hmm. And I've been sitting at the computer just staring at it. And I've been sort of freaking out like, oh my God, I have no ideas. I have nothing. And I've just tried to tell myself, like, I just really needed this break yeah. more than anything. But I certainly have, because I'm trying to figure out what the next thing that I'm writing is because after Die Mommy Die is done in May, I don't really know what I'm doing next. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I'm excited by that. I kind of, I, I sort of, I try to embrace that because I'm, I'm used to that, you know, yeah. doing this is, that's just how it is. I mean, you have the prospect of perhaps doing some runs somewhere. Oh, absolutely. Bright, yeah. Bright colors, both yeah, patterns. for sure. And, 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 but I'm also like trying to think of the next creative thing to yeah. write. Right. And, do you think it's going to be multi-character or one person? I have no idea. I don't know. But So how do you get over that hump of just sitting at the blank I think it's like I just try to g- give myself a break. Because I feel like yeah, yeah, what yeah, I yeah. find that... Do like, you have that, like, that discipline of like, I have to write five pages a day or no. two pages a day? No, or, I don't. Because that... that And maybe... The, the thing was... Like, when I was in the Sunday Company at the Groundlings, we had to write sketches every week. And I did that for a year and a half. With, with no, I mean, we had a break for, like, Christmas and New Year's. And that was it. Mm. And you're writing constantly. And you're, you know... And I did. And I would write and write and write. And then you come up with stuff. So there is a, there is such a method to that, um, you know, madness to that method. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, when I, I find that when I make myself do that, I can shut down more. And it's just the thing when, when I, mm. I realize like when I'm on stage and I go up on my lines and I panic, I will forget everything even more. Like if I go, Oh, and I just take a breath and relax it come there it is. And yeah. I have to realize that that's how it is with writing too. You've got to let it flow and know that like, it's going to kind of come out when it needs to. And so right now I'm like, I kind of have an idea of what I'm, what I'm writing. Um, it definitely helps to just, turn on the computer and start writing, mm-hmm. even if I delete everything. But what I don't do is say you have to write from this hour to this hour or right. X amount of pages. Yeah. Right. But like when, well, it's important to know your process. So yeah, I feel like for me, what helps is just me going, I'm just going to, but sometimes it's like, I have to, I just go, I need to go for a walk or I need to go to a coffee shop. Some, I need to get some like inspiration. Sometimes right. And you, and you can realize that during those times, like you, you are working on, yeah, yes. you know, yeah. like in some level yes. of your brain. Right. You know, just like, and then sometimes your brain needs a centering and a yeah, meditation. Right. And then, exactly. then you can go back to like, okay, all right. It might be right. This. Right. Yeah. And a lot of it too is just sort of, I try to just spew without Deleting. The other thing for me is I'll just write, just like improvising. When mm-hmm. you know, it's like I was I had a teacher years ago that said improv is like writing without a delete button, and that's what it is. And it's like you can't, you can't go back. You, you've said it, you've done it. It's part of the way it exists. But you get really interesting stuff there when you're not writing one line and then editing it and going back. It's like you can always edit later. You sh- obviously should edit later, but in the moment. Just and so much of my in bright colors was written in one moment. Like I was in one headspace and I wrote a giant chunks of it in moments mm-hmm. where I was like, people were like, how long did it take you to write it? I'm like, I really feel like I wrote the biggest chunk of it in, in a week, and then I obviously spent right a long time rewriting, refining, refining it and make it better. So I won't say I wrote the play in a week, but the biggest like the a lot of it and a lot of my rants within it have all come from one moment in time where I'm sort of in, you know, and it's sort of, you flow. Yeah. And then you can always go back and go, I don't need to say this or I could lose this or this doesn't fit with the rest of it. But you're not trying to craft perfect sentences every time you write. Cause that's where you get, you get really precious and then you hate everything you're writing and you're like, Oh, that's terrible. Why would I ever write that? Um, you gotta be willing to be kind of terrible for a bit. Yeah, of course. You know, so unsure about next steps. Yeah. Um, after a really busy um, period, but um, are you are you in the process of any web series? There was I'm a time not. that you I'm were not, on everyone's web I did series. A million, I know, and and um, I'm not. I mean, I loved the disgusting. Oh, thank you. I love doing that too. Partially for this one scene <laughs> where you 
are on your balcony filled with dead plants <laughs> that you're watering anyway. And um, and then you're that's in a the conversation. I'll think that's well that's all Jordan Firstman wrote that. Yeah. And um you know, he was very sweet to like include you know, I threw out a couple lines here and there, but he really that was all his idea because we didn't really know each other that well then and he wanted to write do something with me and so he wrote this part for me and he wrote that where he was like on the at the top of the scene you're going to be watering a bunch of dead plants. <laughs> and then at the end so of the... Funny. It, we're really playing horrible garbage people terrible in L.A. Terrible people. Terrible people. Who know nothing about life and relationships. Right, but we're in L.A. and we're surrounded by gorgeous... We're like, we, we go out... We Also, what really cracks me up about the discussings is that we're these two people who... Our day is meeting for coffee and then going for a hike and then going to a movie and then going to a bar. And yet we're miserable. And like, we have these cush lives. We don't work. We don't have anything that we have to do. Yeah. We're just going out. And, and it's also like we go out to a park and a woman's doing yoga. And we're judging her for doing yoga. A guy comes up to, to Jordan at the bar and hits on him. And I'm like, this guy's bad news. Get the fuck <laughs> off. Like, what are you doing? Like, we're shutting down any sort of positivity that's coming our way. Like, a waitress. We're making fun of her. We go to a movie. We can't believe a movie was made. Like, we're just... And so that and they're going and like trying to like disrupt every person's date that they see. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the second one. Is uh, we go into a bunch of people's dates. I mean, we're running up to people and telling them that it's not going to work out for them. And then I and thought this was really kind of like touching. You know, it was just like as they're kind of wandering away down through a park. You know, they're like, "Have you ever had a relationship?" Like, no. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's like the thing where you just realize that they are. Um, and then and they, we did two of those, and the end of the first one, like we we split apart from each other, and then um, Jordan is calling me on a loop, and I'm not. I'm looking at my phone, and I'm not answering. And then he starts taking a bunch of selfies, and then I am just looking disgust, truly disgusting, drinking a Diet Coke out of the two liter, <laughs> eating Doritos and watching Lisa Lampanelli stand up on my laptop and not laughing. And just like, <laughs> we're just miserable people. And just what it says about these people, like pretty, have really okay lives. Like we live in LA, like you, you know, oh my God, you have such privilege. And yet we're just, Really over it, but that was that's Jordan, who's a who's a genius and always and Jordan writes terrible people with 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 exactly that point, like you yeah. know, in mind. He's he's got a lot of great stuff online. Well, he wrote for you really well. I mean, like I just thought that 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 your character was so kind of like yeah, he hilarious. Knew exactly how to write that sort of that particular type of and you know, and I I love my friends for knowing the type of awful gay person I like to play because they rarely are on, uh, uh, on TV I mean like usually on TV the gay people have to still be likable on some level yeah um, definitely friendly. it's really yeah. annoying because you played another <laughs> horrible gay person in Go Go Boy Interrupted yes yes I played a um, terrible drag, drag queen drag queen who's just like a, another just as you like to say and that's garbage, Jimmy Fowley who's brilliant who person. knew how to write for me as an awful I was an awful drag queen named Anxiety yeah, who fires him in the first episode and um, just it's very. Who's in full drag, but you funny. never see her perform. Like, she's never on stage. She's just backstage. There's no reason. There's she, no reason. She's just. That's how she came to work. She doesn't have time. That's how she, that's how she presents. And, and she doesn't have time to do a show because she's too busy yelling at the Go Go Boys backstage. But it, she all that a, a club made me laugh about that character. And I told Jimmy, I was like, if we did more episodes I was like I always gonna be in full drag and never perform like you never see me even on stage to introduce the I, I, I don't no. have time I'm just backstage just complaining and, yeah. mad, and miserable um, you know so it's really funny I, I don't understand the economics of web series like um, was someone paying for that did he raise the yeah, money yeah they raised money they raised money for it and um you know, it's one of those things that you can do a web series pretty cheaply. Yeah, uh, If you have somebody that's going to, you know, to throw down a bulk of the money. Um, you know, and it's just... And then does he does he recoup with, like, advertising? Or they do occasionally. They usually don't. It's usually a thing where you, you, lose, you lose money. Yeah, there's, but okay. big picture, it creates opportunities in a way that... Oh, absolutely. I mean, right. for me and, and, and Jordan Fursa and Jimmy Valley and fill in the blank. All of us, like you know, Brian Jordan Alvarez, absolutely, a and, now or something. and the thing is, it's like, like you know, what I what I it, it is. It, it's not an accident that there are so many gay web series. Like it's such a it's such a playground for really 
great gay people who have something interesting to say that have, that are starting to transition into, you know, um, online series like you know like Netflix, Amazon series or TV shows or whatever. Um, they're sort of taking a cue from these web series because they're seeing these in- incredibly creative voices. Also, people of color have a lot of web series. I mean, I've gone to these like web series awards and you see there's so many out there yeah. because you're like, well, there's so few shows representing a, a, a voice. I mean, the network likes mm-hmm. to do a diversity showcase, but when do those shows ever get on? And when do those voices air? and when do those writers yeah. get to actually show those people? And it's right. why like Insecure on HBO is so important and like you know it mm-hmm. would take it takes an, an Issa Rae to make Insecure it's not just like right. n- not a bunch of you know old white executives in male straight would get in a room and go you know what would be interesting you know that, that would never work and so they realize like this is the authenticity that, that exists on the web yeah. is is unlike what a group of people come on, coming up with what's marketable could ever be and do realizing you, that is one of the things that you want to do or or might work on is uh, like creating a, a series oh absolutely yeah yeah great. for sure and then it's something that i've always thought about it's for me what's like tricky for me is that i've always wanted to be number three on a show and not number one and because i always think the number three is the more interesting well part. if you're also writing so that would be it would be like you. an ensemble so it's about yeah. finding the right ensemble versus the drew Drogi show which not that i would turn that down or kick that out of bed but um, even doing my own solo show, I, I'm like, I'm lonely, you know, I'm like, I don't, mm-hmm. and I don't love being the number one person that has to make every possible decision. Um, yeah, and I would, after you get it up but, and running, you don't even have Michael Yuri there anymore. Right. I mean, Michael's like, a full career and really busy with everyone. Everyone does a lot of things. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. And, and it ultimately comes down to, to me. And, um, again, I enjoy that, but that's not always what I would want to do. I mean, with, with a TV show, I would be like a little bit, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm just, I, I wouldn't say I would. Well, it's a hugely collaborative example. process. Right. So and really I would want it to always be collaborative as opposed to always, Your you way know, or the highway. Right. Exactly. And I, I, it's just not my, not my MO. And I'm not saying that for many sort of like, you know, I mean, I've got plenty of an ego, but it's just not in that way. You know, it's not like I'm going, I'm just so amazing. I just want to, you know, or, or I'm into, you know, whatever. But Well, it does feel like Drew Drogi is having a moment right now with oh. that, you know, with the, the continued success of uh, bright colors and bold patterns. I mean, I, I do think it's a huge thing that it that it uh, got extended for so long with someone who's not you. It's just a real that was, that testament was, to the writing. And well, the, thank you. And to Jeff, because Jeff has, has given it a life of its own, and I think... But it was a total experiment because I was done with my run that I had sort of agreed to do. I could have I could have kept going. I don't think the show would still be running if it was just me in it because it, it gave the show such an interesting life and angle. And a lot people. more attention. And a lot more attention. Yeah. And a lot of people came back because they're like, I'm going to see Jeff, Jeff do it. it. And Jeff has his own audience yeah. of people that would come and see it. But also it established it as a play more than yeah. the Drew Drogi show. And so I'm... And you got checks without so, having to be there. Yeah, what about that? <laughs> That's pretty nice, too. That's all this day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was able to sort of step away from it and see it a little bit more objectively, which has been which has been really great. And I yeah, think it's the that, only way you can. If, right. If, if, if it's just... Yeah, and that was the thing. When I was doing it every day, it. I was like, I, I, can't, I can't imagine. I don't even know what this looks like anymore. And I was starting to get tired and I was getting the one when I was like, am I even making any sense? Like, did I even get this point across? And I was asking the stage manager every night, like, did this even come through? Cause I'm so bored with the thing that I wrote. And I'm like, I gotta get out of here. Like, just, if I'm bored with my own writing and then, I mean, when, what's wrong? But it, you know, it's like, um, yeah, an audience is not going to probably love it. No, and I'm like, I'm afraid so that they're, you know. Yeah. But the weird thing that takes over is that, the, you know, like anyone says that when you do a show for a long time, it's like doing it. It's like your brain gets out of the way and it's like it's your muscles, your mouth and your body make these noises and sounds and you can watch yourself doing the play. And I've always heard about that, but it's crazy when it takes over. The other day I was running lines. I went for a walk and I was running lines. And I realized maybe five minutes into doing it that I was thinking about something totally different and I was still doing the lines from my show. And the minute I had that realization, I was like, wait, where am I? And I couldn't find my place. And it was such a lesson in like, just stop, just let it go. Cause your body and you know, the words, right, it's just right. weird how you just sort of like, 
you know, you disconnect from it so much. And then you think, oh my God, I'm terrible. I have to, you know, but. I do that when I play piano. If I just like start a song and I just start playing it, I can right. just play it on autopilot. But then if I'm like, wait, what? If what, you're what, thinking what, about where, it. Where, where am I at? And then I just completely lose my spot. Right. No Isn't that idea. weird how that happens? Yeah. So odd. Yeah. And so, you know, and I think it's something your body does to sort of protect you. And also your brain just, just can be your worst enemy too. It can just tell you like, you don't know what you're doing. Um, so, anyway. but you do know what you're doing, <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank, thank you, you guys. So thanks for having me on, being on the podcast. Really thank you. Please nice go out and see if you're in LA. Go to the Kirk Douglas Theater and see Die, Mommy, Die, which opens May 10th. It runs two for two weeks. weeks. Just two weeks. So it closes May 20th. So Heather's comes out on Netflix yes, in May. Uh, it, no, it comes out on the Paramount Network. Uh, and that will be, as far as we know, we're hearing late May. Is that, that's what I know. I'm not sure of a release date. Oh, yet. they delayed it because of yeah. like, some violent Yes, well, because of, yes. Oh, school shooting. Yes, because yeah. of, yes. And so, yeah. sense. And then strange. all of our New York listeners... Well, well, this won't be that will, that's Okay, another yeah. time. <laughs> Sorry, you, There'll be another time to see yeah. Drew on the New York stage yeah. on the boards <laughs> yeah. um, soon enough. But thank you all for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, if you liked what you heard, you know, rate us, tell your friends. Subscribe. subscribe like. Leave some positive comments, or don't bother if they're negative. <laughs> <laughs> thank Thanks. you so much. Thank Bye. you. Bye.